If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And today, we are going to be talking with Kari Rosbeck about pivoting and resilience. You know, I will say, when we look back over the last year, if I'm a betting person, this probably gets released sometime in May, but we're recording this in March. So as we look back over the last year, March 2020 to March 2021, our world has really changed. And nearly every nonprofit organization has had to do a deep dive into pivoting and resilience over the last 12 months whether it's a legal organization that also finds a way to make sure their clients stay housed, an HIV-AIDS organization that finds a way to go from doing in-person clinic work to telemedicine and home testing for HIV. Organizations across the country have just found new and unique ways to serve clients. And in some ways, these organizations are going to be even stronger as a result. But I also know this last year has been tough. It has been a time when, as organizations try to make change, they also feel challenged. They're feeling stretched. There are multiple constituencies, obviously the people they serve, but staff, board members, funders, who all might be having some discomfort around the rapid pace of change that has to happen. And that's why we wanted to get Kari Rosbeck on the show today. She is the longtime executive director of the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance, based out of the D.C. area. And if you don't know what TSA is, it is a national nonprofit that raises awareness and research funds to fight tuberous sclerosis. And let me just share with you that her organization pivoted in three key ways. They, first of all, provide funding for research, and they also do some advocacy and some direct service work. So the first thing they did was they offered their research grantees an extension so that even though their labs were shut, they could continue to work on analyzing the data they already had. 
They also leveraged a mobile phlebotomy program. And when you think about this, this is a time when clinics and hospitals are overwhelmed. And also, if you think about in our own lives, none of us wanted to go to a clinic or hospital. So creating that mobile phlebotomy program really helped in two ways, probably. And the third thing that they did was they also implemented a research study to understand how COVID uniquely affects people with tuberous sclerosis. And so that's how they pivoted. But as Kari and I were talking, what we realized is what we needed to have a conversation about was pivots and resilience. Because really, there are few parts of our society that have better exemplified this than our nonprofit organizations. Hey, Kari, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dolph. Thanks for having me. Well, so I just kind of want to start by saying, can you describe what your organization's world looked like and how it changed from March of 2020 to May of 2020? Oof. We were on Capitol Hill conducting our fly-in last March when everything started to shut down. And we realized how lucky we were to have people from all over the country in DC that week. But by Thursday, we knew that we had to prepare to reschedule all of our spring events, that we were gonna have to find different ways to raise funds in a virtual environment, that we were gonna have to figure out how to keep research moving forward, despite the fact, as you said, research labs were closed, but research continues and the urgent need for people living with rare disease continues, specifically those with TSC. So from March to May, we looked at every sector of our business and how we could reimagine the plans that we had made. And a subsection of that too is, in March, we thought maybe we were gonna be closed down for a month, right? By April, we figured it was gonna be at least till December. And that changed the paradigm completely, completely. So we really had to think about first what we were gonna do initially to stay afloat, and then what we were gonna do the rest of the year to continue to deliver meaningful services. So as you started to think about those quick pivots when you thought it was just gonna be a month or maybe six weeks, and by the way, I remember the same thing, with an organization where I was the interim. We were thinking, oh, six to eight weeks, hopefully we'll all be back. And we, you know, we were very optimistic about this. We're like, yeah, we're all gonna be back. But so as you think about those pivots that you were having to make, what were some of the speed bumps you were running into? So first I got the staff together just one week after, or right before I think our office shut. It was a Friday and our offices were gonna shut down Monday night. And I said, we gotta figure out new ways to raise money that's not in the budget. And I think just wrapping our heads around what that meant, but we quickly pivoted to say, okay, what is our community going to need to get through this? What information are they gonna need? How are we gonna support that? And by the next week, we were scheduling meetings with our major donors to say, if we're close six to eight weeks, or we got to figure out how to pivot in business, will you support us? So we were already starting to have those conversations. Like you, I've been a CEO for a long time, and I lived through the Great Recession. So some of those warning signs were were clear. And and so my mind went directly to, we got to figure out a way to generate money in a way we did not anticipate. 
Mm-hmm. And so you said you started to do some unique digital things online. What were you doing? So we held in 11 weeks beginning on March 23rd, 20 webinars through that time frame. It was almost like, you know, when you go to a resort, you get your, your page for what your day or what your week's going to look like. So we started with how do you school your children at home? Because people were having, they were thrown into that. We had a big town hall webinar in partnership with another organization about what is COVID? How do you interact? How do you stay safe um, surviving the pandemic? Uh, what's it like? Everything you know is going to change because you're going to have to stay home. So how do you survive that? Um, and we had open discussions for our community that were dealing with a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of mental health issues associated with TSD. So we we're trying to keep our community strong. And we did information on the drug chain supply because people were frightened that their medication wasn't going to get delivered or something was going to run out. The other thing we did was create a COVID landing page with all of the information. People could go to one place to get all the information. And then our our leading physicians actually created a physician's guide. So there's some really unique medications that are used in TFC. And we also wanted to make sure that physicians knew how to prescribe that or to keep people on medications. So I know that Like a lot of organizations, you did so much to really quickly prep for COVID. Like, I know almost every nonprofit organization that I either was working with or I'm aware of had a COVID landing page and would say, okay, you know, for our constituents, for our communities, here are some resources for you. Here are some things you can do. Had done webinars and those types of things. How internally did you rally the troops, so to speak, to really get them on board so As an example, I'm assuming people probably were working overtime, even if they were working from home. That's right. We had weekly check-ins every Thursday. We really wanted to maintain the culture of our team and our community, which is really all around working together and checking in, first of all, how people were doing personally, how they were surviving. The webinar series, we actually produced as a team. So we had some people on our team that very uniquely have film degrees or theater degrees or photography degrees, and and we really utilized their skill set. But every single person were part of planning the webinar series, finding the speakers, actually being a host. And so that culture of community and teamwork was really important. The other thing we did to kind of stretch people and to keep the normalcy in our community is we did a series called Telecommuting Tuesdays, where every single member of our team did a video of what it was like to work at home, and they got progressively more creative. I did the first, wasn't creative at all, but um, our younger folk, our younger members of our team, they got really creative. Costume changes and all kinds of stuff. It was amazing to watch people really shine. Our CFO even did a take on Mr. Rogers, which we thought was hilarious. So really finding the humility and humanness of living through this pandemic as demonstrated by the adjustments each of us were making at home. I love that video series idea. That is such a clever way to do team building when you can't be in the same building. 
That's right. Exactly right. We did this staff retreat over the summer too, where we did a scavenger hunt where you had to recreate a famous painting while everybody was in a Zoom setting. And the things that people came up with were hilarious. One of the things I also wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about, and you mentioned it, but I want to jump back so we can really dive in. You know, so many of us in the nonprofit sector come from non-traditional paths. I mean, it's funny. I have a social work degree. I also have a master's of public administration. So I guess I come from kind of a traditional path. But the vast majority of people in our sector, that's not the path they come through. And so it's interesting because you were able to almost inadvertently or accidentally have this team of people with other skill sets beyond just being able to be your CFO or your operations person because of the path that they had arrived to the nonprofit world through. That's exactly right. The other thing that I just want to point out in terms of a nonprofit best practices, we do an OAD testing for team members before they join the staff. And we've looked for a lot of flexibility for our team because our culture is ever-changing. So in addition to non-traditional degrees like theater or photography or filmography, uh, we look for a lot of flexibility just as an underlying personality trait. When people go virtual with these events, so we produced a virtual walk-run ride with a lot of video, a lot of film, live camera work, It really came in handy, somebody who has a theater degree or somebody that's cut a lot of video that can put together some really compelling human interest stories that go with the why we are doing this walk virtually and why we need you or what is the impact of our nonprofit in your life. And to be able to bring that to life almost in like a produced TV show. That's what we aim for in our events. It wasn't just taking a flat event and throwing it on Zoom. We really thought about the production elements that would create the human condition and really be moving and poignant to our community and to our community of donors. There's a phrase you used that still stuck with me, so I've got to ask you the ignorant question and ask you what it means. I think I heard you say, OAD assessment? Organization. Oh, I know. I can't. Oh, sorry. No no worries. I just, I wanted to get a sense. So can you describe (laughs) what the OAD, I think I might know what the OAD assessment is, but can you describe it? Yes. So it is basically a personality test. You go in and you mark the traits that your job will require and what you perceive the traits that are required in your job. And then it, it, it gives you a whole rating on, on somebody, what motivates somebody, what kind of work style they're going to have. Are they a detailed person or not? Are they flexible? That's what we really look for. So you have a range of somebody who's going to be very rigid, meaning they want the same schedule all the time. They don't want you to interfere in kind of their schedule or somebody that's adaptive that kind of go with the flow or innovation or entrepreneurship, if you will. So it's not what I was thinking it was going to be. Okay, so it's kind of actually individual individual tests that each person takes. Yes, sorry. Yes, it's very individualized, but it shows you what motivates a person to uh, excel in their work or the things that are going to really irritate them. It's been really helpful to us in hiring the right type of person for our culture. So you just 
you just helped me start to ask my next question. I was going to ask how you operationalize that OAD. So you do it as part of the recruitment process? We do. We have the most stringent recruitment process you can possibly imagine. So first of all, nine times out of 10, we don't use a recruiter. We go through our networking. We post on sites that are applicable to whatever type of job. So if it's a development job, we'll post on development sites. If it's a research job, we'll post on those appropriate sites. Or Indeed and LinkedIn are two sites that we regularly use. We'll take in all of our resumes. We'll calm down what we usually get, like 100 resumes off of Indeed, LinkedIn, or wherever. We will pair that down to about 25. We do 15-minute quick interviews with five key questions that really get to our culture and innovation and how they relate to people. Okay, hold on. I, I got to stop you there. Those five key questions, are they the same for like for every position, no matter what you're hiring for? No. If we're hiring for somebody in the community, it's more like, how do you handle conflict resolution? If it's somebody who is in financials, we'll say, how many transactions do you handle a, a month currently? So it, some of those are flexible, some are not. And so, you know, I'm going to have to dive a little bit deeper in on this, Kari, because I nerd out on things like recruitment. So I'm really about to totally nerd out on you. Okay. So... Let's say you're asking me, how do I handle conflict resolution? Well, obviously, even if I'm not good at it, I probably know the textbook answer. So I then give you the textbook answer. Do you probe deeper? What do you do? Sometimes I do probe deeper if I think that something seems ingenuine. I will ask a more specific question. Can you tell me a little bit more about that situation and how that made you feel? Or... And so then what did you do? Or how did you take that knowledge and apply it the next time you had a conflict resolution? Um, but we do try to keep like, it's like speed dating, right? We, we, we try to cut through the noise. The question, we craft the questions so that we know immediately who's gonna be a fit or not. We like to say something about their best job experience or something that really they're most proud of uh, in a former work environment. That's usually one that we, we like to ask everybody. So we go from the 15-minute speed dating down to one-hour interviews with 10 people that come out of that generally. And then we'll get down to two to three candidates. With those two to three candidates, they meet with our entire staff. They have to come in and do a homework project. So some kind of presentation that is applicable to the job they're going to be in. We want to put them in the job. So, Kari, but before you go there, I got to slow you down a little bit. So, okay. when you say they meet with the entire staff, paint what that looks like. So, is that do they meet with the entire staff as part of presenting their homework assignment? Do they have one-on-one -on -one meetings? Are they on one side of the table and eighteen staff members are on the other side of the table? T show me what that looks like. <laughs> okay, um, in a normal non-pandemic time. They would come into a conference room and all 18 of us would be there and they would sit at the at the head. Of, well, actually, we'd let them decide where they wanted to sit. Generally, it's the head of the table and we'll just spend some time talking, seeing how they fit in our culture, ask questions about their prior work environment, some preset questions. But we really want to see what's the fit with the team. That's really important to us. Um, the presentation will get at how will they do in the job, 
So, Kari, you know, I'm going to slow you down some more. I'm not ready okay. to jump right to the presentation because I got to ask you. So you've got, I think you said you've got 19 team members. So it's you, the candidate, and 17 other people. How do you then get feedback from those 17 people? Because I'm assuming in some way you want them to weigh in on this candidate. Of course. Yes. We'll do that after the candidate. Right. Leave. Well, that's good. <laughs> and uh, Right. But you can almost feel it. Like there's a comfort level with people that are going to fit in our team. It's just a very natural exchange. Um, my favorite question to put people on the spot is if you were a candy bar, what would you be? I don't really care about the answer. I just want somebody who can think quick on their feet and give me a meaningful reply. That works every time. So I just, I love that question. Um, somebody usually asks, what kind of pizza do you like? Because when we're not in COVID, we usually order pizzas on Friday. And it's, again, that is more of a comfort thing with fitting in with the, with the team. We, can, we get to the hard questions. Tell us about your work experience. Tell us about a challenging situation and how you dealt with it and what did you learn from it? Or if you're a CFO, um, tell us about, implementing new accounting software. There are those questions too, but really the ones that really get at the team and that comfort level. And you can tell a lot about somebody who's going to fit with our team because there's laughter and every team member asks a question. When somebody comes in and they're not a great fit, half the team will just sit back and watch. They won't be active. It's very, it's, it's just a really interesting dynamic with with our organization. Um, and we have we have actually hired a director of medical affairs during the pandemic. So you had somebody come in and there were 18, you know, little windows all over Zoom. Um, similar situation, just to, to watch the interaction with the team. And do you find that this conversation, interview, whatever you want to think of it with the team, do you find that it impacts diversity, equity, and inclusion at your organization as well? And if so, how? That's a great question. That's your that's your surprise question. No, I, no, sorry. I'm not meaning for it to be a surprise, but I'm, I just, I'm genuinely curious. Like, you know, I know sometimes groups really gel with people who are a lot like them. And sometimes groups gel with people who are not a lot like them. But I'm just curious in terms of like, like, the impact on DEI. Sure. I, and I think that it's a combination. We have a pretty diverse staff, very diverse viewpoints. Um, the main thing is people aren't afraid to share their viewpoints. And, and we're looking for somebody that carries that as well, that they'll gel with the, the team. And I think in that more casual environment, people feel less on the spot to present for the job and they're just being comfortable in who they are. So, and so it sounds like what you have found is that if the other 17 people are already kind of a pretty diverse team, it makes it easier to recruit a diverse team if you're using this method. I think so, yes. We definitely don't all have the same personality traits, that I can tell you. So to your point about what happens when the candidate leaves and we sit down and decide a who, in general, we are in agreement on who we want to go with. Uh, the times where we have not been in agreement or there's been a 50-50 split, neither candidate has been right. Wow. When you say neither candidate has been right, does that mean 
you hire one of them and it ends up not working out? Or does that mean you say, let's keep looking? We've learned from our mistakes. (laughs) I'll just say that. Let me say, I've made that mistake too. So I'm not throwing any stones. No, no, no. I think sometimes we're so in need of hiring the staff person, we should listen to our gut when that happens. And sometimes you do have to start over if you don't have the right person. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one of my mantras is, an empty seat is better than a bad hire. I can always explain why it didn't get done if no one is filling that position. But if it's a bad hire, I can't explain it. So true. That is so true. So the last thing we do, so this OAD test is really important. I promise I will look it up and send it to you. No but- worries. No worries at all. <laughs> so this is really important for personality fit too with the team. And as I said, is this person adaptable and flexible? Can can they adapt with different environments? The last thing we do when we check references is we don't just say, how long were they there? What job did they do? It's, it's really questions that probe in work habits or if we had questions about one answer that somebody may have given, we'll format a question that will get at an underlying answer they may not have provided otherwise. So even our reference checks are not cookie cutter at all. Mm -hmm. So kind of like you, I'm a real fan of asking not just the would you hire them again question, but asking eight, nine questions and really literally when I reach out to a reference, I will say, I would like 15 minutes of your time or 20 minutes of your time. And I mean, I'm going to take 20 minutes of your time because I have eight questions I want to ask you. That's right. So I want to go back because the one thing I think we've not really delved deep into, I know you kept getting there, but I kept I kept pulling you back into the meeting with the team. I'm sorry. But the homework assignment where they're doing a presentation, I'm also a huge fan of that. What does yours look like? So it depends on the position. Um, When we were hiring a chief scientific officer, we asked them to come in with a five-year research plan based on the TS Alliance's strategic plan. When we were hiring a community programs director, we asked them to come in and present on a a new event that you would execute at the TS Alliance. Um, When we have hired finance, we asked them to come in and talk about how they might implement new uh, software for our financial reporting. So it, it really is very specific to the position, but in a way that puts them in the seat of that job. Nice, really nice. So it sounds like when you are doing your recruitment, obviously you're looking for fit and you're looking for competence, but it sounds like part of what you ended up recruiting for as well is this resilience and this ability to handle change and manage change. That is exactly right. And I think that that's why we fared so well. Many of our colleagues and other organizations, of course, did that too. And I think that flexibility and those organizations that that had a staff that could easily adapt, found themselves in a good situation like we did. Oh my gosh, I I love this. And you know, one of the things, and I say this all the time to my clients when I'm an interim chief executive, I try to live by this, that we've got to get hiring right. And if we don't get hiring right, really nothing else goes right. So I am, I'm impressed and happy that 
that that's where your focus is in part as a leader. Now, Kari, I have to make sure that I ask you the off the map question. And I think I've got a good one for you. Before we hit record, I learned that you have been commuting between Minnesota and your office in Silver Springs, Maryland. Now, you also shared with me that you're not currently flying and now you're driving. And that's a little bit of a long drive. I think you said it's like a 16-hour drive, and that's probably if you don't stop. So my question for you is, what are you playing on that drive? Do you have a playlist? Like, what are you doing to entertain yourself on that drive? That's such a great question. So the first time I did it, I called all my old high school friends, literally, that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And just, it was such a great way to, you're driving 16 hours, catch up with people because we're often so busy in life. We just don't take the time to do that touch base. Um, I also like to listen to news, which seems crazy, but when you live in the DC area, and you work for a nonprofit that's dependent on policies or what the government is doing, I I just always like to stay abreast of what's happening. And the other thing is, I love to listen to 80s music because that's when I went to high school. And so I'll listen to the 80s as much as I can. That's awesome. Admittedly, I'm kind of in the same boat. I also went to high school in the 80s. And every, I have a, I create a new playlist every year. And Last year, for some reason, there was a lot of of Bruce Springsteen and John Cougar Mellencamp on my playlist, which is not something I actually listened to that much in the 80s, but it was kind of an 80s year for me last year. Uh, Yes, (laughs) I can see that. Kari, I'm grateful you came on. I do also want us just to spend a couple of moments and talk about tuberous sclosis. So I'll be frank and say I was not aware of tuberous sclosis until I to do research for our conversation. So can you just share with our listeners what it is? Tuberous sclerosis complex is a rare genetic disorder that causes tumors to grow throughout the body. So the brain, heart, kidney, liver, lung, skin, it is the leading genetic cause of epilepsy and autism. It impacts people completely differently, even identical twins. And so part of our research is understanding why TSC is so different person to person. And we have an opportunity to really engage in personalized medicine to make a difference in every single individual's life. Thank you so much for sharing that because, again, I knew nothing about it. And I actually ended up spending, I think, probably like 45 minutes of your website reading about it, reading real stories, and finding out what your organization is doing from both a research and a, and a service perspective. So thank you for what you're doing, and thank you so much for coming on today. You're so welcome. It was a treat. Listeners, if you want to find out more about tuberous sclerosis and the work that they are doing, go to tsaalliance.org. At that website, obviously, you can find out more about TSC. You can also find out about the Alliance's research, what they do to support, inform, and educate the community as well. It is well worth the 15 or 30 minutes that you might spend at the website to just learn a little bit more. And if you have found today's conversation useful. And it's interesting because initially I thought it was going to be a conversation about resilience and pivoting, and it turned out it really was a conversation about hiring for resiliency so that you can pivot. But if you found today's conversation useful, I really think there are two episodes you should check out. 
One is episode 89, Conflict Can Be Good for Your Organization, with Nate Regier. And the second is episode 129, The No Bricks, No Mortar, 100% Virtual Nonprofit, with Barbara Van Dahlen. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And I've always got to give you the disclaimer. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only, blah, 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 and should not be used for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If you're still with me, you heard the blahs. If that's what you're looking for, you should find a credentialed, licensed professional. And if you do not know who to reach out to in your community, contact me. If I know someone, I'm happy to make the connection.